<laughs> what a great theory, philosophy to have. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. <laughs> you get the point? I will trust in you. Brian, lead us, please, buddy. Thank you, thank you. We'll be in James again if you want to turn there. James 1. I know we looked at that last week and we're going to look at it again this week. The title of the message is Joy in the Midst of Testing. Joy in the Midst of Trials. Really? Really. As I was Googling definition of joy this week. It said a feeling of great pleasure... And happiness, delight, exaltation, jubilation. Ah, okay, that's a good one. And right underneath it, it was kind of interesting. It, it, it said biblical definition of joy. And here's what it said. It said an, un, an invaluable gift of God that radiates to others. Yeah, that's what I thought. Huh. <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. You know, to define joy, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. But here in a few minutes, I'm going to try to define it for you, okay? I'm going to give you a, what I think is a better definition than what I just read to you. You know, joy is something that we all long to have. Sometimes joy is, is hard to get a hold of and to keep. But you know, God wants us to be joyful. Did you know that? He wants us to be joyful. Matter of fact, matter of fact, it says that as Christians, we are to have the fruit of the Spirit. And one of those fruits of the Spirit, matter of fact, is number two on the list, is love. And the next one is joy. Joy is, is allowing God to work that into you, who you are. Joy is God's will for you and I. Joy says God wants us to be joyful because it is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We have a right as Christians to be joyful. But you and I both know sometimes, sometimes it's hard to find joy. Sometimes joy is kind of like Elvis Presley. It has left the building. Sometimes joy goes out the back door and it doesn't seem to come back. Sometimes joy disappears and we become dry spiritually. Sometimes joy happens to be joylessness. Sometimes we, as we are dealing with issues in our life, that we tend to walk around as if, as if God and the Holy Spirit is not a part of us. And we walk around like an unbeliever and our, and our lip is dragging the ground and we just are just depressed and, and there just doesn't seem to be 
any joy. You read God's Word, and there were some very strong men in God's Word that struggled with this lack of joy. You read Job, and in the third chapter of Job, he, he tells God, he said, I wish I wasn't even born as he dealt with life. King David in, in Psalms 54 says, God, please just take me to another place because I do not want to deal with reality. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, yeah. Elijah, great moment from God when he calls down fire from heaven and he defeats 450 of, the, of Baal's greatest prophets. And where do we find Elijah the next day? He's in the desert saying, God, just kill me. I can't take this anymore. He had lost his joy, had he not. So if, if, if you're a person today, or you have been, or you're going to be, and you're dealing with this idea of joy and lack of joy, I'm here to tell you, don't give up. Don't quit. I can here to tell you that there is a road that leads out of a lack of joy and it leads to joy. I can promise you that. And how can I promise you that? I'm on that road myself right now. A road, a, a road, a road that leads from a joylessness to a joy. You see, on March 31st, I got a phone call. And the doctor said, there's a spot on your prostate, and I believe it's cancer. Excuse me? Yeah. And I tell you that because, because I want you, number one, to know that. And number two, don't feel sorry for me because I'm going to be practicing what I'm fixing to preach to you, okay? And you'll see it here at the end. And I know there's many of you have received that same phone call when the doctor gives you that, that word and it starts with the letter C. Or you get a phone call that says you've got a loved one that just passed on. You get a phone call that says you're no longer needed at this job. You got a phone call that says your son or your daughter has, has, is really messing up. And we all in times in our life have to deal with those kinds of phone calls, if you would. Where the dark seems really dark and it doesn't seem like there's a road out there. And when life seems to jump on top of you and beat you up. And your joy has left the building because of that. What do you do? Where do you go? How do you handle that? Christian, is, is the joy ever going to come back? Christian, the Bible says we're supposed to have it, but there are times that it just doesn't seem real, does it? Well, what did I do? And I'm going to tell you what I did in order to encourage you to do the same thing, okay? When life kind of goes dark on you a little bit and the joy seems to go out the back door. When I got to call, it was 4.30 Wednesday night. I'm getting ready for Wednesday night service. And where did I go? Well, I can tell you where I didn't go. I didn't go to Dr. Phil. I didn't go to Oprah. I didn't go to Joel Olstein to be a better me. I went to God's Word. I went to God's Word. And when life turns dark on you, where do you go? You go right here. I promise you. 
You go right here. You go to the book that has every answer to life that you ever need. It's all right here. And as I was looking through that, I came to James, James 1. And I began reading James 1, and I knew what James 1 says, but I want to read it to you again. Because I think it speaks volumes. So you kind of understand last week's message <laughs> to tie in with this week's message. And it says this in verse 2. It says, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. Wow. My brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then verse 5. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and he will give it to you. James is dealing, I mean, right off the bat in his book, he says, consider it all joy. He said, because it's not if you are under trial someday. It is when you're going to be under trial someday. And he says that test and that trial that you're going to go through will produce an endurance, will produce a patience, will produce a perseverance if you would. And he says, as God is taking that and producing that in you, you it says you will have its perfect result. Your perfect result. And all that means is you are now going to begin to mature in the faith. That's what it means. None of us are ever going to be perfect here on this earth. But as we deal with testing and trials and we allow God to work into our lives, he says, I'm going to grow you spiritually. I want to grow you from the inside out. I want you to be just like my son, Jesus Christ. And that's what he says in the last part of verse 4. It says, so that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. Your test is to produce in you a spiritual maturity so that you will lack in nothing. That you will now begin to reflect your life that looks like Jesus Christ. To become more lifelike. And if you remember the last point I made last time, it talks about wisdom. And, and what are you going to do with this test and this trial? You're going to get mad and bitter and stomp, stomp and cuss and all that kind of stuff. But if you remember the last point of, of the message last week was, I pray that I will not waste this trial. I won't waste this trial. What do I mean by that? I said, God is trying to teach me. God is trying to teach you during your testing. He's trying to get you to the point where he will shape you and mold you to be more like his son. But how many times when we, when we get a test and we're in a trial and we're in a struggle of life and, and we just get mad and we just, you know, where is God? And we say all that kind of stuff. When in reality, all God wants you to do is say, don't waste this opportunity. This is an opportunity that, that Don, I'm going to give to you so that I can mold you and shape you a little bit better so you can look like my son. See, there's a positive in the test. If you're willing to surrender your will to his will. That was last week's message. This week's message is this. Count it all joy. Woo. Count it all joy. He says, count it all joy. And remember last week we talked about what that word all means. And that all was what? It is cancer. It is 
debt, it is heartache, it is a hundred thousand other things, all fall under that word called all. Consider it all, people. Because God's going to work it for your good and for His glory. Your good, His glory. On Wednesday nights, that Wednesday night crowd, if you would, uh, I have shared this with them. And, and for me, I have three anchor verses that I'm going to anchor to during this time. And I would encourage you to either steal these verses from me, okay? You can have them too because they're still good stuff. Or I would encourage you when you're in a test or a trial to find your own anchor verses, whichever. If you need some help, I'll help you find some, okay? But these are three anchor verses that during this time I am going to stand on, I'm going to believe in, and I'm going to trust in. And I would urge you to do the very same thing. I would urge you to find you some anchor verses that, that you would even write down on a three-by-five card and that you can put it in your pocket. And I'd even go further enough to say, man, if once, after you did that, maybe try to put a verse or two to memory. Because when, when anxiety comes, when depression comes, when joylessness comes, where do you go? You can go to that anchor verse. You can go to that verse that you're standing on and immediately feed your mind with God's Word. Doesn't get any better than that, I'm just telling you. That's how you deal with it. My three anchor verses. The first one, Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. And it says this, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. A plan for a future and a hope. Now, why would I choose that as an anchor verse? Well, the first thing, if you look at it, it says, I know the plans I have for you. Not me. It says, God has a plan for your life. God has a good plan. No, it's not a good plan. God has a great plan for your life. And God loves you so much that he wants to to bring this great plan into existence. So God's in control. God knows what's going on. You You submit your will to God and God said, I got this plan for you. And this plan is to prosper you and not harm you. Well, that's a good deal, man. He's going to prosper me. He's going to give me a, a huge bank account. Well, he could. But that word prosper doesn't really mean that, I don't think. I think that word prosper means I am going to bless you beyond blessing. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bring things into your life that won't rust and won't wear out and won't disappear. I'm going to bring things into your life and prosper you And the things I bring into your life, you're going to have them here. And you also are going to take those things with you for eternity. That's how I want to prosper you. I have a great plan for your life. And I want to prosper you. And I want to bless you. I want to bring spiritual maturity to your life. And my plan is not to harm you. It's not to be a a burden to you. It's not to hurt you. It is to bless you. And then he says... I want you to have a future and a hope. A future and a hope. If you don't have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
you don't have a future and you don't have a hope. Because the end result is, well, we know what it is. But he says, you know, Christian believer, I want to give you a future. I want to give you a future that prospers you today, that helps you to have the abundant life today. I want you to understand that if you're in this black tunnel of darkness, that I'm here to tell you that there is a light at the end of that tunnel. Did you know it? There is a light at the end of the tunnel. That is your future. It might be difficult today. It might be hard today. It might be hard tomorrow. It might be hard next month. But I'm here to tell you, I've got a future for you. And that future is a light at the end of that tunnel. And you keep your eyes on, the, on that light at the end of the tunnel. And one day, you'll step out of that tunnel into the brightness. And then he said, I'm going to give you a hope. There's hope that there's a better day coming. Yeah. But there's more than just a better day coming. She said, she said that hope is just not all about, about here. That hope that he's talking about, that is a hope, that is assurance, that is a conviction. That when we move from this old earth right now, that our next breath will be in the presence of holy God. Absent from the body, present from the Lord. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter how dark it is, keep your eyes on at the end of the tunnel, but also remember there is a hope that when you step from here and go to there, that is a tremendous hope. It don't get no better than that, knowing. And when you close your eyes here, you open them up there. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. That in itself should bring you joy, knowing that fact exists. You know, we can have a settled assurance that God is in control of everything that goes on in our life. That brings hope. Second verse I want you to look at that I'm going to stand on is Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, that's another good one. And we know, (laughs) and we know, God will work everything out for his good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. And I don't know how many times we've looked at that verse and we've talked about it and I I always emphasize (laughs) the first part of that, okay? And we know God causes all things to work together for good. I mean, that's what I always talk about. But for some reason this week, it, it, it dawned on me. There's more to that verse than just that first part. You see, the second part says, for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Did you understand that verse alone in that verse is a promise to every born-again believer here in this building today? Okay? Every person that accepted Christ as Savior, every person that's living the life and walking to walk and talking to talk and has made him Lord and Savior, guess what? That verse is a promise to you. No matter what's going on in your life, that is a promise to you. And that promise says that that God will cause all things to work together for good. What a promise. What a promise knowing that whatever you're going through right now, whatever you might be suffering with or, or dealing with, God's promise to you, believer, is this. That I will work it out for your good and for God's glory. Don't get no better than that. Your good, God's glory. 
Because you see, God's not your enemy. God's your friend. And God wants the best for you. And he's going to do whatever it takes to get that best for you. And he said, I'm going to take it. I'm going to do whatever I got to do. But I'm going to make something good out of it. What a promise. That is a promise for us. We can have that quiet confidence. That God's going to ultimately work out good whatever you're dealing with right now. The third verse I want you to see here real quick. It's Philippians 4. And I've always talked about this, 6 and 7. <laughs> you've, heard me, you've heard me talk about that before. But this week, it, it, it got tweaked on me a little bit. Okay? It got changed just a little bit. And, and I mean, I'm not very smart. I'm not real smart, but I got to looking at that. And being the genius that I am, I looked at the verse right above verse 6. <laughs> In the last three words, in verse 5 of Philippians 4, before we get to 6 and 7, says this. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. No matter what you're dealing with, the Lord is near. He's not some faraway God sitting up on his throne waiting to zap you. You understand? The Lord is near. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord heals the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If you're brokenhearted about something, if you're dealing with something, if you're in a darkness or something, He is so near that He says, I will save you those who are crushed in spirit. That's how near He is. That's how near he is. When you are struggling with life, guess what? He is near to you. Do you get that? I want you to get that. You're not alone. He is right here with you. Matter of fact, if you've been born again, he is so near to you, (laughs) he's in your heart. You can't get no nearer than that. Okay? I can go stand by you, but he's in you. And sometimes we forget that. When we are in a test or in a trial, we forget that. And I'm reminding you just today that he is so near to you. He is inside of you if you've been born again. And if not, he's not near you. <laughs> I hate to tell you that. If you've never been born again, he's not very near to you. Matter of fact, the Bible says he's not even going to listen to your cry. He didn't even hear your cry. So thankful that I've been born again. That he's going to save those who are crushed. In spirit. And we look at that verse and we'll go back in verse 6. And it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And here's a great promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You're in a struggle. You're in a dark place. What does it say to do? Pray. It says to pray. And then it says to be thankful. I ain't going to be thankful for what I'm going through. Well, maybe not. But if you ever get to the point in your life when whatever you're dealing with, you can go before the throne 
and you say, God, I don't understand. God, I don't like. I don't know what's going on. But you know what, God? I'm going to praise you anyway. I'm going to be thankful anyway. I'm going to be thankful that you're with me when I'm going through this trial and this, this difficulty. I'm going to be thankful, God, that you sent your son to die on a cross for my sins so I can be saved. I'm going to be thankful, God, for the way you have blessed me. And if you can ever get to that point in your life, that even though you don't like what's going on in your life, but you take the time to praise him and just tell him, God, I don't like it, but I'm going to praise you anyway. God, I don't know what's going on in my life, but I'm going to be thankful anyway because your word tells me to be that way. And when you get to that point in your life, you're beginning to grow spiritually and you're beginning to be, be mature a little bit and you're beginning to become more like his son because that's exactly what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? God, there's a better way. Come on now. But if not, it's your will and not mine. Please get to the point in your life, no matter how tough it is, no matter how dark it is, that you can praise him and you can be thankful for what he is doing. It is that determined choice that you make to be able to praise him during the storm. That is a choice that you have to praise him during the storm. It is a choice that you grab a hold of his peace and you decide, I'm going to do it. And when, and when that angry, ugly mindset of depression comes in, when that anxiety comes in, and that, that doubt comes into your mind, and you go, the Lord is near. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to, but all I'm going to do is pray and be thankful and I'm going to have peace that surpasses all understanding. Well, I did that this morning at 9 o'clock and all of a sudden now things just start coming up again. Guess what? At 10 o'clock, say it again. At 12 o'clock, say it again. And I can promise you because I've done this before. When you finally get that verse in your mind and you just repeat it over and over when the enemy attacks you and brings up thoughts and... And you give them that verse. I can promise you, you will have peace that surpasses all understanding. Wouldn't you want that during your darkest hour? Then a struggle and a test? I promise you, you can have that if you want it. The definition of joy that I'm going to give to you ties in with all three of those verses. Okay? All ties into with three of these anchor verses that I have in here is here is my definition of joy. And just put it up there, Dirk, if you would. It is the settled assurance that God is in control of everything in my life. Jeremiah 29, 11. It is a quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be okay. Romans 8, 28. And it is that determined choice to praise Him in every situation. I believe that is a pretty good working definition of joy. How can we experience joy in the Christian life? 
What can we do to keep experiencing that? Uh, besides, you might say, these anchor verses. And again, I, I encourage you to come up with your own or use mine. But how can we experience that joy? What do we need to do? Well, I've got four things here I want to tell you, then I'll be done. The first one is focus on the Lord. Focus on the Lord. When you're tested, when you're tried, how easy is it to all you can think about is your struggle, your sickness, your pain, what you're going through. I'm here to tell you that's, that's, that's real. And I'm not dismissing that. I'm not saying you don't do that. I, I get that. But I'm here to tell you, you want victory amongst a test. Number one, you focus on God. You put your mind on things of eternal. You get in His Word and you, and you see what His Word says. And you begin to think about that. You think about that future. You think about that hope. You think about that light at the end of the tunnel. And you think about those things, those things that won't rust, won't wear out, won't break. And you begin to focus your heart and your minds on God. I'm here to tell you, when you begin to do that and you wrap your mind and your heart around that, that is a super good way to bring back the joy that maybe you are missing because, see, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about Him. Focus on your Lord. Focus on Jesus, your Lord and Savior, with your mind and your heart and your time. <laughs> and, just, and just let the floodwaters of joy come back to you. I promise you, it works. Second thing I would say, how we can experience joy as a believer and it's living in obedience living in obedience Jesus says in John 15 10 and 11 he's talking about joy and he says this he said if you keep my commandments live in obedience you will abide in my love you will draw strength from him just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided in His love, He says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Jesus said, I want His joy to be in you and that your joy may be made full or complete. You know, He's, he's called us as Christians to be people of confession when we understand that we sin and we come short of his glory what has he told us to do confess it clean it up I'll forgive you that's living in obedience living obedience says I love God with my all my heart my soul and my mind because Jesus said that is the great commandment that's living obedience and the second part of that says, and I will love my neighbor as myself. That's obedience. God's word says, I have to forgive that person I don't want to forgive. 
That's living in obedience. God's word tells me I've got to serve that person that I just don't really want to serve. Because I just not. Live in obedience that I'm going to serve them anyway. Living obedience says, I want to tell you the greatest story in the history of stories. And that is, I want to tell you about my Jesus and what he did on the cross and how he rose on the third day and he offers salvation to you no matter who you are. Living obedience says, I want to tell you. Living obedience says, I want to extend grace to people that don't deserve grace. They don't deserve me loving them. They don't deserve me being nice to them. But obedience says I, I will because God's word tells me to be a person that extends grace. And the Bible says it is to your glory to overlook a transgression. Did you know that's what it says? It is to your glory. That's living in obedience. When we begin to live in obedience, good things can happen. You cannot have joy in your life without obedience. You can't do it. Impossible without obedience. If you don't want to obey God's word, you will never have joy. Because you see, joy comes from the Lord. And when that fellowship is broken, that that pipeline is clogged. You can never have joy. You got to live a life in obedience. Third thing I would tell you just real quickly comes from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You got to be a people that pray. Okay, we've kind of hit that. You got to be a people that praise. We've kind of hit that. You got to be a people that are thankful for his goodness and his mercy and his blessings to you. You want joy? You become a, a person of prayer a person of praise, a thankful person. And, and here's another one that, that we don't ever talk about. And it comes from Psalms 19.8. And it says this, The precepts or the word of the Lord is right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. When we are people of prayer and we are people of praise and we are thankful and we get in his word, just like I did and found James 1.2, And we study his word and we look at his word and we meditate on his word. And we don't go to Dr. Phil, but we go to the the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his word. Then what happens? Joy comes at that point. You see, reading God's word and meditating on it, that verse says what? Rejoices the heart. You want joy in your life? Get in his word. Dust off the cover, whatever you got to do. Well, I don't know what to read. Well, come and ask me and I'll tell you. Okay? And the fourth thing I want to tell you, then I'll be done. Joy comes from other Christians. Joy comes from a church family. You see, it's no fun to think that you're alone. It's no fun to think as you're in a test or a trial that you got this all by yourself. Man, that ain't no fun. And you're not supposed to. And as I was thinking through this and and thinking about this and whether or not to tell you what's going on in my life, that just hit me. (laughs) Okay? 
I don't need to be alone with this. You don't need to be alone with your struggles. Because you see, we have a church family here of people that love each other. We have people that want to come together and be a part of your life as you struggle with life. You see, Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says it this way. Okay, it says it this way. It says, let us think about or let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How can I help you? How can you help me? Not forsaking our own assembling together. And it talked about coming together as church. As a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another. You see, we have a community of faith here. We have church members of faith here. And I, and I encourage you to, to when, when you see and you know somebody has is, is got a struggle. Man, why don't you come up and walk up beside them and say, I'm going to walk this with you. Or put an arm around them and said, man, I love you. I'm going to hug. Give you, let me give you a hug. Let me give you a phone call. I'm going to call and say, what, hey, what's going on? I'm going to find out and I want to kind of, kind of be in this, this, old, this old thing that you got going on. I'm, I'm, I'm in the boat with you. Okay? I'm in the same boat with you. You might be rowing, but I'm going to be in the back supporting you, being with you, encouraging you. You see, that's what it means to be a part of a family. That's what it means to be a part of a church. We come to worship and we come to praise and all that stuff is great and that's what I want you to do. But sometimes we've got to get out of the pew. And we've got to walk up to somebody and say, I'm going to walk this road with you. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to hug on you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to check on you. That's Christian love. That is, that is shining the light of Christ to somebody that might need it. That's what we've called to do. To be that kind of a person. In conclusion... How do we experience joy during the dark days that sometimes come? I believe we get some anchor verses or an anchor verse, whatever. And we put it to our mind, we put it to memory. And we stand on it. And we stand on it and we stand on it. And then I believe that we need to focus our minds and our hearts on the Lord. And not on our struggle. I believe we need to live a life of obedience and submission to holy God. God, I don't want to sin. God, I want to be obedient. Show me where I sin, God. Show me where I sin so I can confess and clean it up. I can have joy at that point. I can have joy now when I pray and when I praise and when I'm thankful and when I read his word brings joy and joy comes from a community of believers that says I got your back I'm in your boat I'm with you can we as Christians experience joy when the dark times come the answer is yes and where does that joy come from We might look all over this old world to find joy. We might read all the self-help books we want to read. We might talk to all the preachers that we can get get lined up. 
None of that will bring the joy that you're looking for. Only, only God our Father, Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, can ever bring you the peace that you desire when life goes dark. I don't know how I can emphasize that anymore. The answer is here, not in anywhere else. You can't muster up from your own strength enough joy to get you where you want to be. But I'm here to promise you, God can. Because he wants us to have that. He said, that's one of the fruits of your spirit, man, is joy. When you struggle, don't be afraid to tell somebody. Especially in this church. We want to come alongside of you. We want to give you a hug and we're going to say we're with you no matter what. As we begin invitation time. If you're in a spot that you don't know how to deal with it. I hope this message was for you. See, this message was not anything about me, but it's all about you. Because I want to help you if you're struggling with a test or a trial in your life. I want to help you. God's Word wants to help you. God's Word's got the answer. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm going to ask you to do business with God. If you're in a trial or a test, I hope this helped. If you're not in there and it didn't affect you today, I hate to tell you this, but it's going to one of these days. You're going to need what you heard today. You're going to need it. Do business with the Lord right now, please. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. As the music plays.